Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 23 in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, Peter Delivered from Prison, Herod Struck Down, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 25. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, this is a thrilling chapter, one of the most exciting chapters in the book of Acts, as uh, Peter is miraculously delivered from prison. And we're going to talk about the details of how that happened. Um, and then how, uh, just as miraculously, on the on the negative side of the miracle, we see uh, the wicked King Herod struck down immediately. Um, it does raise questions of providence. Um, the questions are, if God can do this, why doesn't he do it? Uh, we could well imagine in China, for example, house church pastors being incarcerated for years, kept from their families for years, and and no prison doors are swinging open in the middle of the night and no angels leading them out, etc. Furthermore, uh, the question is begged right in this chapter because James was executed and Peter wasn't. Why the one and not the other? Hmm. That's the mystery of providence. And then the wicked tyrant, King Herod, um, God struck him down immediately because of his wickedness. Well, how many other wicked tyrants were, uh, tyrants were allowed to die peacefully in their beds? And, and so it just raises questions so that we, we uh, understand God's ways are not our ways. His ways are infinitely wise. And as I've said many times before in my book uh, in, in, on heaven, we are going to have a chance to look back and study them. And God will explain why he let Mao, for example, die in his 80s peacefully in his bed, mm. uh, a man every bit as wicked as any tyrant there's ever been. Uh, or Joseph Stalin lived many, many years after blasphemy and after tyranny and all that. Um, but then others are struck down immediately. And he'll explain exactly why. Because there is a reason why for everything. Mm. And why certain house pastors, uh, pastors were left in prison for many years. And others were amazingly delivered uh, quickly. Uh, God has a reason for everything. But all of this is coming from Acts 12. And so I look forward to walking through it with you. Well, let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 25 in Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. 
When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. How does Satan respond to the events of Acts 1 through 11? And was this surprising in any way? Well, we've been seeing persecution kind of building and building and building. I mean, I think in Acts 4, when Peter and John are arrested and brought to trial concerning the healing of that lame beggar that was laid at the temple gate called Beautiful, they didn't do anything. Um, they just warned them not to not to do uh, their ministry, and they and they went out and prayed. Uh, then in Acts 5, uh, the apostles are arrested and beaten this time, and again warned not to spread the gospel. Then Stephen, not one of the twelve, is um, uh, is arrested and, and persecuted, and then eventually at the end of Acts seven, after his speech, put to death. And then Saul begins to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. But other than Stephen, at this point, no real word of martyrdom, but just an increasing heat. And so now, um, now we have martyrdom. And so this is the first of the of the twelve to be uh, to be executed. And you think about the significance of who this is, uh, James in verse two, um, the brother of John, one of the inner three, the the three closest friends of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John were always the three that were closest to him on the Mount of Transfiguration, other things. This is a very significant moment, the martyrdom of James. So this is Satan rising up and motivating his human henchmen who are puppets doing his will. That's Herod to um, to slaughter um, the Christians. Also, we notice here the comment that is made that it pleased the Jews. So the, the Jewish uh, unbelievers here are instruments of Satan to persecute the church. Now, how does the large number of soldiers given to guard one man, as we pick up in verse 4, highlight God's power to save? Well, it's it's amazing. It, 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 
it's almost like a magic trick. You think about all the things, like if there's a Harry Houdini escape artist, it's like, uh, you'll notice that there are many chains on my ear. You'll <laughs> notice that I've got all of these, you know, it's like everything lined up to prevent the escape and then boom, it happens. Yeah. So, you know, uh, other than that, it would it would not be so dramatic. So it, I think this is just in general, this is providence. This is, this is redemptive history. Mm. God raises up obstacles or allows obstacles to be raised up by Satan and demons. Um, monsters to oppose the work of the gospel, and then he defeats them. Mm. And so that's to his glory. So I look on this as uh, the, the details of Peter's incarceration show how difficult, how improbable, even impossible this escape was. Mm. doesn't matter. And, and so do you get the feeling like you could think unbelievers like, man, I wish I'd put more soldiers to guard them. It's like, would not have mattered. Yeah, you not, could have put 50,000 soldiers <laughs> it's in. Not it's the not point. stopping. You're missing it here. Exactly. Yeah. Well, omnipotence rules over all mm. things. And so we'll see that. But it's very, very uh, uh, detailed here. Four squads of four soldiers. He's the 16 soldiers. He's got chains on his wrist. He's being kept in a locked prison, et cetera. It's like the, there's no chance of him escaping. And yet he escapes. You know, another significant detail mentioned in the text is how the church responds to Peter's imprisonment. Yeah. How do they respond? Well, by by prevailing prayer. And prayer is a mystery. It just is. And so we've got the, the parable of the persistent widow that Jesus told. Hmm. And uh, Luke tells us in the introduction, uh, he told this parable so that they should always pray and never give up. Hmm. Keep on praying. Don't give up. And so the church here was in prevailing prayer. Now, you may ask, if God's going to set Peter free, why would we need to prevail in prayer? Just ask him once. To some degree, we would think we wouldn't need to ask him at all. He will just do what's best. But that's just not how it is. God wants to involve us in the work. So he involves us at all by just having us pray for it once. But that's not all that's going on. He's changing us hmm. by the prayer. And so that's the two sides of prayer. One of them makes sense psychologically, emotionally, mentally, that prayer changes us. The more you pray for something, the more you want it to happen. It's like you're buying shares of stock in a company. It's like, mm. well, why should I buy more than one share in, in uh, a company? It's like, well, the more shares you have, the more you'll profit from the company's success. If you buy just one share, hmm. you'll have very little to show for the success of that company. Hmm. But if you buy many shares, you'll have a lot to show. And so it is with something you're praying for. The more you pray for it and the more intensely you pray for it, the greater is your joy and the sense of your buy-in when it happens. But that's all on the side of prayer changes us. On the other side, the mysterious side is prayer changes things. Prayer actually affects things. James tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It, it's, it seems the way this account is written that Peter was delivered from prison in direct answer to the church's prayer. Mm. There's no doubt that, that the Holy Spirit is weaving this account together to teach us that we should pray. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. What is the nature of Peter's deliverance teach us? And what was Peter doing right before his execution? Okay, so here's Peter. He's in prison. He's being guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Uh, so I don't know if they're all there at once. Uh, but we do know at least that Peter is sleeping, it says in verse 6, between two soldiers. And he's bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So the sense here is that you got probably f at least clearly four soldiers. Um, so my guess is they're in shifts. 
Uh, and so you got four soldiers guarding him and other th- uh, the other three shifts are waiting for their turn. Mm. So the idea is they're going to be absolutely vigilant. Um, and given the fact that Herod executes the soldiers after the escape, and that's very unfair to them, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get to all that. But the fact is he fully expects them to be kept awake. Um, he did not expect a supernatural deliverance. He expected perhaps the church to try to rescue him, et cetera. At any rate, um, he is, Peter is sleeping. He's not expecting a, um, to escape. Uh, God hadn't forewarned him at all. He's just there asleep, and he's bound with two chains, probably one on each wrist, and then sentries are standing guard at the entrance. So that's his condition. What did Peter think was going on, and when did he realize that he was free? All right, so um, behold an angel of the Lord. I love the word behold. <laughs> uh, the translation I use a lot never uses, hardly ever uses the word behold, doesn't like it, I guess. But I like the word behold. It's like, wow, look at this. <laughs> All right, so an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. So this is similar to uh, Luke chapter two, the birth of Jesus mm-hmm. and the glory of the Lord shone around. So angels show up and frequently there's light, but also it's very useful. My guess is that the prison cell was very dark. But maybe not completely dark, might have been some torches attached to the wall or something like that, but it was probably dark. And now uh, the angel of the Lord appears and uh, light fills the cell. It's, it's bright uh, with the light that the angel brought or the, that was shining, just radiating from the angel. And uh, he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I like that. It's just like, <laughs> whack, hey, get, get up. Get up, <laughs> come on. And the funny thing is, there's clearly this supernatural stupor or blindness or mm. paralysis that comes over the, uh, over the soldiers. So why the need to hurry? But it, it reminds me also of, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah mm. and they're rescuing Lot and the angels are in a hurry. They're in a big hurry. And so the idea here is, no, there's a timetable here. So he strikes Peter on the side and wakes him up uh, quickly, get up. He wants him to get up quickly. And then suddenly the chains fell from Peter's wrist. I love that. I'm a Mm -hmm. mechanical engineer by trade. I'm like, yeah, this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. All right. And so how do these things just open up? How uh, How do the manacles just kind of, you know, loose? But it's just the power of God. Mm. Um, so he controls every molecule, and the chains just fall off Peter's wrists. And so he gets up and starts to follow. Verse 9, it says, Peter followed him out of the prison, having no idea that it was actually happening. Now, keep in mind, this was Peter, who was a prophet, who had had a prophetic vision of a sheet being let down from heaven uh, with all kinds of animals and unclean animals and clean animals, all kinds of things, and he had it three times. My guess is that Peter had other, other visions at other times. And so that's how vivid, how real visions are. Keep that in mind. Um, Paul had a vision of being caught up to, to heaven, and he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. That's how vivid and real it is. It may well be in heaven, God will show us visions of the past of history that are so vivid, it's at, at like we're living through it at the time. That mm. will be movie night or day or whatever it is <laughs> in heaven. And how exciting will that be? Because it's like you are there. But in this case, it wasn't a vision. It was real. It was actually happening. And so that's what Peter thought was going on. He thought he was having a vision. And what happened is once they move through the city gate and the gate opens for it by itself, I imagine it creaking. I was and then the gate opens and they're through. And uh, they pass the first and second guards, come to the iron gate. The city opens automatically or by itself. They go through it. They go the length of a city block and the angel's gone. Hmm. And Peter's standing there, middle of the night. And he's like, wait, this is real. 
Like, this wait is actually, second. wait a minute. I was in a cell. I was between some guards. There was an iron gate. Yeah. Now here I am. Here in the I city. am. This and is, he, he's just. Wow. Then he suddenly realizes the whole thing's real. Andy, why do you think God chose to be glorified by delivering Peter instead of through Peter's martyrdom? God's ways are not our ways. His ways are mysterious. He still had work for Peter to do. And what's amazing to me is the church is praying despite, I can almost say despite the word given concerning Peter in John 21. Hmm. You know, um, he said, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, he's giving him three chances to affirm his love for him because the night of Jesus' arrest, Peter had three times denied Jesus. Well, why did he do it? He was afraid to die. Hmm. And so in John 21, he allows him three times to affirm his love for him. And then he says, I tell you the truth. When you were a young man, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are older, others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And then John said, by, it, by this Jesus was prophesying the death by which Peter would glorify God. Mm. And so it could well have been this was that time that Jesus was speaking of. Others were going to dress him and take him where he did not want to go. So everything's lined up. It just wasn't his time yet. And so he actually did get himself dressed and went where he did want to go. Hmm. So that time wasn't wasn't there yet. The prophecy was still hanging over Peter's uh, head that at some point he would die as a martyr. Hmm. But that time had not come yet. And so why did he do it? And, and you could just as easily ask it slightly differently, why Peter and not James? You know, why deliver Peter and not James? Again, it's just God's way. Hmm. You know, when a man's work a man of God's work is done in this world. God takes him out of this world. James's work was done. Hmm. Uh, but Peter's work was not done yet. We don't know that he'd written First and Second Peter yet. Uh, we don't know, you know many things about Peter's life. So there was still work for Peter to do. You know, in verse 12, we see Peter realizes he's free, mm -hmm. uh, but then he goes to be reunited with the church. Where exactly does Peter go after his escape? And what actions did Rhoda neglect in her joy at hearing Peter's voice? I love, I love Rhoda. We get to meet her in heaven. Yeah, she's like, that's my one moment in the Bible and I don't look too good. But at, at any rate, um, so they go to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is the author of the Gospel of Mark. Hmm. And we're going we're gonna to talk more about him in future podcasts, God willing. He's an important figure. Um, but at this point, John Mark, or John also called Mark, um, and at his home, at, at the home of his mother Mary, there that's where I think the church had gathered hmm. and that's where they were praying. And so Peter knows that that's where they are and he goes there to present himself to them. What does the response in verse 15, it is his angel, yeah. mean? And why were they surprised by Rhoda's news considering that they had just been praying for Peter? Yeah, I didn't answer the rest of the question about Rhoda. We know what happens as you read it. Uh, Peter <laughs> knocks at the outer entrance. The servant girl named Rhoda comes. Uh, when she recognizes that it's Peter's voice, she's over, overjoyed and runs back and says Peter's at the gate knocking, but she didn't open the door for him. And so that's the answer to your question. What did she fail to do? Uh, she failed to open the door and let him in. <laughs> but it just it's so real. There's humor here. There's reality. This is this is a real account of what actually happened. It's not some polished thing. And so they answered it must be his angel, which is 
interesting theologically. I don't think we should build a whole theology of angelology here, but maybe they thought that that Peter had a guardian angel who looked just like him or sounded mm. just like him or something like that. I don't know what they thought, but they were trying to explain because they knew it was impossible. There's no way that's Peter. Yeah. Uh, they said to Rhoda, you're out of your mind. It's impossible. Hmm. But uh, there's Peter, and all he does is keeps on knocking. What else can he do? He wants to get in. Andy, it's striking to me as you as you talk about that, that there, there seems to be both faith in their praying and perhaps a, a lack of faith in their ascribing this to something other than the very thing they're praying for. It's almost this, yeah. I believe, help my own belief in the way that they're praying, even yeah. for Peter's release. Yeah, it's like, what did you expect? What did you want? Yeah, God, isn't this, like, what, isn't you this what you wanted? But praying? it is remarkable. Mm. It is so amazing. And sure. It's kind of like... Uh, well, just uh, Luke's account of the resurrection in Luke 24, it says that when they saw him, they did not talk, – it's talking about the resurrected Christ. When they saw the resurrected Christ, they did not believe because of joy. Hmm. It was just too good to be true. And so sometimes we're wired like that. It was like, I can't believe that this could actually happen, but it's happening. Wow. And so they were not they were really, it seemed, not practically prepared for Peter. Um, but – you know, finally they open the door and they're amazed and and he told them what had happened and he told them uh, the details of his escape. Why did Peter not stay with the Christians and how does this shape our own response to persecution or danger as we think about it even today? Yeah. Um, well, Peter, I don't know why he didn't stay there. He just he, It says he t- said, tell James and the brothers about this. So we'd have to imagine this is James, the pillar of the church that we're going to see later in uh, Acts 15, the brother of Jesus, um, who wrote the book of James, uh, I think that's what it means. I, I think he would have known that that James, the brother of John, had been executed. We don't know that for sure. But it says, tell James and the brothers about this. Let them be encouraged about my deliverance. And then he goes to some other place, don't know where. Um, but it could be that it might not have been safe for him to stay there. Hmm. Well, how does that shape our own response to persecution and danger? Yeah, I think we need to understand God is in control at all times, and nothing can happen uh, to us except uh, filtered through the hands of our loving Father. And if God means for us to be persecuted, it's because he means to bring other people to Christ through our suffering. So we should be uh, ready, knowing that God can deliver us at any time, or he can choose to kill us. Uh, I think Romans 8 makes it plain that we are considered as sheep for the slaughter. And so James was a sheep for the slaughter, just as Jesus was a sheep for the slaughter. doesn't mean he doesn't love us. just means he has a certain purpose for us. What was the response of the soldiers and Herod upon the discovery of Peter's disappearance? A massive disturbance, uh, no small commotion, obviously. How could it even be? The very thing these 16 soldiers were, were, were entrusted to do, they could not do. And so that's omnipotence. When God decides something's going to happen, it does not matter what the people do. And so they are searching for Peter. They can't find him. They don't know what's happened to him. And so then Herod uh, leads some kind of an inquiry into the whole thing and um, uh, uh, finds out what happened and they're executed. Mm. Now, I think this is very important for um, Matthew uh, 28 or 27, maybe the end of Matthew 27, I think is where it is, not 28, Matthew 27, where it talks about how the guards were bribed to say that Jesus' disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And and the question would immediately come back, then why are you still alive? There's no way that your commanding officers would not have executed you for falling asleep on guard duty. 
And so it is pretty common for the authority figure that puts guards in charge to kill mm. guards who are found to have fallen asleep. And so I think they think the only possibility, Herod thinks the only possibility here is that these guards fell asleep and he executed them. Now, Herod seems to be a man of ill temper all around. And as the scene shifts, uh, we find Herod again upset with a group of people. What circumstances lead to Herod's speech to this crowd? And how did the motives of Tyre and Sidon govern their actions? All right. So Tyre and Sidon were uh, were significant trading cities, uh, partner cities, um, twin cities, basically, right on the Mediterranean coast. And they're just well known uh, in Ezekiel 27, 28, et cetera, as being uh, uh, a place of great trade and Gentile cities of trade. And so Herod goes, it says, from Judea to Caesarea, and that's right on the coast uh, also of the Mediterranean. And there had been bickering going on between him and the people of Tyre and Sidon. So this would be an economic quarrel they were having, uh, some kind of, of um, difficulty. And so they now want an audience with him, and they get that through his chamberlain or trusted personal servant, a man named Blastus, so that they can have some kind of an audience with him. And uh, they are seeking favor from him. They want a good relationship with him because it says they depended on him for their food supply. Mm. And so that really does set up their flattery. And we're going to see that as they cry out what they do. This is the voice of a God, not of a man. It's because they just are, are flattering him and pandering to him because they want to get from him what they want. To me, this is a real picture of politics. Mm. This is a picture of the way so much godless government goes on. People wanting what they want from a ruler and giving him what they, uh, what he wants, which is puffing up his ego, uh, could be in a democracy where they vote him in and cheer, you know, cheer wildly four more years, four more years, something like that. And I mean, that's got to inflate a man's ego mm. when something like that goes on. Um, but they all want things from the government back. And so we see uh, a picture of that here. And so they are dependent on the king for their food supply and they're ready to give from whatever he wants so that they can get from him whatever they need. So the people are seeking benefit for themselves through this mm -hmm. flattery of Herod. Mm -hmm. Why does the angel of the Lord strike Herod down? And what application or warning can we take from this account for our own lives? Right. So Herod gets up to address the people. He says some things. <laughs> whatever he says, some great speech, delivered a public address to the people, and they shouted, this is the voice of a god, not of a man. Mm. And, um, wow, um, it's blasphemy, uh, blasphemy. Now, keep in mind that the apostle John fell down twice before the angel that delivered the book of Revelation to him or aspects of the book of Revelation, ready to worship him. And the angel twice made him stand up. Uh, said, do not worship me. I'm only a servant with you. Worship God. Mm. Uh, also, Cornelius fell down in front of Peter in reverence. He said, get up. I'm a man myself. Uh, we'll see in the missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, how the people were ready to worship uh, them as gods, and they refused it. There is, there is no sin in other people treating you like a god or worshiping you like a god. There is a sin in you accepting it. Mm. And so there needs to be immediate, vigorous repudiation of that. Interestingly, Jesus never did. He accepted worship, hmm. you know, from Thomas especially. My Lord and my God, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. He accepted worship, and not just once, again and again and again, because he is God. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with Jesus accepting worship as God, but there was something very evil about Herod accepting this kind of statement from a flattering crowd. And they're saying, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because he accepted that worship, immediately he was struck down by an angel of the Lord and died painfully. Mm. He was uh, eaten by worms. So the worms start eating him immediately and he dies eventually. So it's not an instant death, but it's an instant striking by the angel. Again, we see the power of angels here. They can do this anytime. Mm. Now it does raise the question, why some tyrants and not others? Look, for example, at Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was given a warning with a dream. Daniel warned him by interpreting the dream. He was given a full year to repent of his arrogance and his pride and his blasphemy. And he walks on the roof of his palace and says, is, the, is not this the great Babylon I have built for the praise of my own glory? So he's worshiping himself. Mm -hmm. And an angel strikes him, but not dead, turns mm -hmm. him into an animal mm -hmm. and eventually converts him. That's God. God does what he wants. But he is able to do this anytime. And if he chooses not to, it's similar to the question of the legion of demons. Why didn't he just destroy them or send them to the pit? Because he's using them. Mm. And so it is with tyrants. Why does he not just strike them down? It's not because he can't. It's because he's using them. He has a purpose for them. Mm. But in this case, he makes an example of Herod instantly struck down by the angel. How is verse 24 a fitting conclusion to this account? And mm -hmm. what is Luke's purpose in verse 25 at the end here? <laughs> but the word of God continued to increase and spread. That's a direct contrast. Yeah. Herod's dead. The word of God spreads. This is Psalm 2. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, you are an enemy of the gospel. And, uh, you know, you are an opponent of the church of Christ. Now, mm -hmm. I, I can't help but read this account and not think about or think about, um, you know, what— uh, what Paul said to the Corinthians, if anyone destroys God's church, God will destroy him. Hmm. So how was Herod destroying God's church? He, was kill he killed an apostle, the brother of John. So you're trying to destroy the church. And God destroyed him. God killed him. Well, then the question comes, well, why didn't he destroy Saul? It says overtly, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. Hmm. But he didn't kill him. He converted him. God does what he wants. He is sovereign. And so it is still true, if anyone destroys God's church, God will destroy him. But the very man who wrote those words was delivered from the wrath of God by the kindness of God. Wow. And he knew he deserved it. He knew he deserved it. So I think there's a clear contrast here between Herod, who died, and the word of God that continued to spread. Mm -hmm. Then it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. And so they're beginning, uh, we're going to see in the next chapter, the beginning of the missionary journey of Barnabas and Paul. Andy, any final thoughts for us today on Acts chapter 12? What a great chapter. How exciting. Uh, it's very provocative. It gives us a sense of the energetic activity of God in the world. We're not deists. We don't think God made the world by certain principles and leaves it alone to run like a machine. No, he is directly actively involved. And we see that both in deliverance of Peter and in the death of of this Herod, uh, this tyrant Herod. God is active, he's powerful, and the goal is the spread of the word of God. Well, this has been episode 23 in our Acts Bible Study podcast. We want to invite you to join us next time for episode 24 entitled Paul and Barnabas and the First Missionary Journey, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. 
Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.